We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Horrible result against Brighton leaves Arsenal fans questioning Arsene Wenger's... Wait, sorry. No, I've got the script from last year. Hang on, give me the... Thank you. Horrible result against Brighton leaves Arsenal fans questioning Unai Emery's tenure. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I imagine I might pick up an extra block or two today, because I'm raging. I'm furious. I feel the burn, but not like in the political liberal American sense of like Bernie Sanders. I just feel the burn of anger and hatred and rage fueling me today because, wow, that was disappointing. You know, the one thing we have in our life is Schadenfreude and watching Spurs go down to nine men and and probably just completely tank out of the Champions League spots. And, and Chelsea, you know, they're on the precipice and United can't beat Huddersfield and we've got it all there for us. We were winning 1-0 at home to Brighton and we blew it. You blew it. What the fuck is wrong with this club? Tim is here. You can find him on Twitter. It's still Birdo. Hello, Tim. Hello there. I'm, I'm feeling the burn as well, and I haven't been to the gym in about four years. So, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, have you been to a brothel? Because that can also produce the same results. No, I assume um, not. Answer redacted. <laughs> oh, touche. Uh, uh, Paul is here. You can find him on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Hello, pause. I'm questioning his tenure, his nine-year, and his 11-year. Yeah, well, hope, I don't think we're going to get 11 years. Uh, okay. And here is the voice of reason who I'm going to force into saying things he will live to regret is Clive. You can block him on. No, sorry. Follow him on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Good luck with that, mate. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. I'm going to do something with you that you're not going to enjoy. Uh, 
<laughs> I, you know, it's funny because that's how I wound up with a daughter. Um, no, uh, <laughs> sorry, never mind. Um, look, this was brutal, brutal. You made Aaron Ramsey cry, Unai. Players, you made you made Aaron Ramsey cry. Actually, I don't think it was the result that made him cry. It made me cry. Look, I can't remember feeling so bad at full time in a long time. I don't know why I had allowed myself to hope again, let love in again, think that it could happen again. But watching the other teams crumble, I just thought it was going to break for us. Now, look, I, I get we can get into the Champions League by winning the Europa League, and that's still on the table for us. But, man, to have that opening, Spurs are going to have to play the final day after having battled against Ajax with no Sun and no Kane and no Foyth. That's the real pain there. And it just it felt possible and, and have it snatched away in this way, in such a pathetic way, is so painful. And look, we're going to dig into the, the issues of the manager. I, I think it's fair to do that. It doesn't mean anything anyone says on this podcast is right. That disclaimer goes for all the podcasts we've done before and all the podcasts we'll do in the future. But I do want to start with the game specifically. And I want to try to stay tightly focused, guys, or this could be two and a half hours of rambling nonsense instead of the usual 80-minute rambling nonsense. So I guess, Clive, I want to start with you on this. He goes with a 4-1-3-2. I think it is fair to call that. Um, Back four, Shaka sitting deepest, Torreira in sort of a line of three with um, uh, Ozil and... Uh, uh, was it Mkhitaryan? Yes, Mkhitaryan. And then uh, Aubameyang and Lacazette up front. And, you know, ultimately, it's an aggressive lineup, and I understand it, and I don't think it was a a particularly wrong way to go, but I do think it is fair to point out that this is, you know, like six new lineups in six games. Uh, If he does it against Burnley, he gets the toaster, so that's good. I'm happy for him. But, like, Clive, you said on a previous podcast that players are more tactically astute than this, that kids have iPads with tactics on them from a young age, and I get that. But I do believe that as a manager, you have to have a core system that your players are aware of, and then you can pivot slightly off that system so that the changes you're making from game to game are subtle, not systemic. And I do think that when you are changing your whole system, your whole lineup, your whole set of personnel every three days, that is going to prevent some level of cohesion. So for you, I mean... It's not so much that the lineup is wrong, but do you believe that by the 37th game of the season, a manager should have a system and a lineup that roughly approximates his first choice, or are you fine with the fact that even 37 games in, we don't have one? Mm. What do you think his first choice team is? I honestly don't believe him. I mean, I think if you said it's for a big game where he has to nullify the opposition, it's the back three with Shaka Torreira in the two with Ozil behind Aubameyang and Lacazette. I think that's it. Now, if Ramsey's available, I think it's Shaka and Ramsey in the two or Ramsey and Torreira. But, like, that's to nullify an opposition. I don't think he has a progressive sort of front-footed, every-game kind of system that he just trusts to go get him a result. Yeah, he does. He went around in the middle, in the middle two, in the back three. That's literally saying you're defending with three and one in front. Ramsey's not available. One of your wing-backs is not available because he's suspended. Um, And we're playing a home game, and probably our best four attacking players were on the pitch. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you would say if they weren't playing, why are they not on the pitch? I think what we have to look at here is, if I asked you what's, what's Pochettino's best system... And what's his best team? Can you name it? 
Well, to be fair, I try to know as little about that lot as possible, so probably so, not. I mean, I know the individual players. I wouldn't pretend to be an expert in the system. They, yeah. they well, I, know the, I, I know think the they two have or three a way systems. of playing, they have, they, have, they have two or three systems. Two mm-hmm. or three systems. And they rotate between those systems depending on the games they're playing and fitness and availability of players. And it's just, it's just simple. And, and Emory's got a very similar approach. Now, some people like to see a Man City style where they only change it on very rare occasions, the actual system, 4-3-3. And they've got multiple players of depth they can just plug and play into that system. They've got their record sign, Riyad Mahrez. We, we just haven't seen him, but he's there if they, if they need him. And so they have a style. They've invested £1.5 billion over the last five years into their playing pool. And I think they can plug and play different players into different systems. I don't think we're at that stage yet. So what he's trying to do is manipulate, try to manage people's injuries, age, bodies for multiple games. And I think of all the premiership teams so far this year, I believe we have used the most players within the premiership. I think we've used 28 players in the premiership squad. That's what I read last week. So obviously he's been doing lots of mixing and matching. Sometimes too many times. And I said before, when you're a manager that makes lots of changes, you live and die by that style. When it works, you're a genius. When it's not, you do too much. I, I do think some of the issues that he's trying to cover are legacy issues which he's been handed. And if I'm, I, I don't think he gets it right every single time. I'm not uh, an apologist. But what I try to do is understand why he's done it and was there a reason for it. And is there something happening upcoming? I think what's really happened, Elliot, which is the real thing you need to be thinking about, does is we were fine until we hit the European Thursday, Sunday, the second phase round. And what's that's done since the international break in particular, it's really exposed our squad depth. And some of those players who have been playing are not playing well, but they're on the pitch I wonder what injuries they're carrying. Some of those players who we don't play every week can't play every week. Some of those players we want to play every week are suspended. And I do think, apart from maybe the Crystal Palace at home game, I can explain most of the lineups, um, most of the systems. I can understand how we got there, given what games have just happened and given what games are coming up. But the overlying holistic message is, not just for Arsenal, but for Manchester United, Tottenham, and Chelsea, their squads are struggling to manage the two competitions. And the results between those four teams over the last sort of two months, maybe six weeks, have been horrific. And they've been embarrassed by the top two, their consistency and their consistent excellence. And I'm afraid all those four other squads are poor, poorly managed, small, either too old, too many high wage earners, too many players want to leave, and it's too many players who are pivotal players who are not doing it. And we just happen to find ourselves not where we should be and missed opportunities. And I think, you know, for example, Tottenham have lost 13 times this year. You can't just look at them. You've got to look at yourselves and say, what have we done? We've blown an opportunity. Even if we just maintained our home form, that would have been enough. But we weren't able to do it. So... Um, I lost your original question in my mind, but I, <laughs> well, hope, that, just, yeah, I hope that you know, I hope that sort of explains a little bit. I, it that, does. Um, 
it's a broader question than just saying, do we know our own team? Because you know what? I've never been hung up on knowing how we play with this squad. With this squad, I don't care. I will care when we get a different squad in, when we get a squad that can actually manage playing multiple ways. But this squad, it doesn't. It can't. It's too, it's too dysfunctional to really be what you want, which is a single style, mm. a style I recognise. It's just not within the players that we have. Yeah, sure, sure. Look, I'm not saying we should only have one way of playing, to be clear. I do think that, like, if you drill a team to play a certain way in August, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, and you make tweaks around that way, that when you go to your core philosophy in April and May against weaker teams, the players just feel more comfortable in that system and know how to play. And, you know, look, you're right. All these teams have struggled since European competitions came back, and we have too. Now, to be fair, we struggled a bit before that. We lost 5-1 at Liverpool in December. Okay, they're pretty good. We drew Brighton away in December. We lost to United at home in the FA Cup in January. You know, so it wasn't all rosy. But, like, there are other points too then. Like, if you're going to fade late in the season because of fatigue, then I think it's fair to say, should Alexander Lacazette have gone to Bate Borisov? Should Shaka, should Mkhitaryan, should Awobi, should Koscielny, should Mustafi have gone to Bate Borisov? With a two-goal lead against Napoli, should you maybe have been a little bit open to the idea of rotating for the return leg? With 17 days off in April, should you have been fresher when you came back? I'm not blaming him for all this so much as saying I think that these are fair questions to ask. And Okay, okay, and on the Napoli one, mm-hmm. if we look, I bet if we replayed the pod before the Napoli one, we were all hopeful we were going to win that game, but we weren't sure, right? We well, weren't sure. Based on our away form, I think it was fair to have concerns. And by the way, I'm not killing him for being aggressive with the Napoli line. Nah, I'm, I'm, just just trying, saying... I'm just trying to say, and I said to you around that time, actually, I sent a question in to Andrew, actually. I said, you know, do we think, do we want, I wonder if we really are focusing on the Europa League because the the, the body language between Napoli and Everton was so, so stark. It was almost impossible to ignore. I just feel that if he went to Napoli and they, were, they scored a goal in the first five minutes and we had a weak team, I tell you what, it wouldn't be pretty if we went out in that round. And in the end, we scored early. It looked like an easy game. And we had to play all our players and it cost us later on. But that's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get back into this game for a minute. Tim, From we, we get the penalty in the sixth minute or whatever it is, seventh minute, something like that. And... It's a soft one, but fine. Aubameyang does really well, slots it away, and we're off and running. And this game is everything. Our whole league season boils down to this right now. It gives us a chance to go into the final week in actually a pretty reasonable position that we may not even have deserved to be in. But there it is. And all you have to do is press your advantage against a team with nothing to play for. From the 6th to the 67th minute, we had three shots on target and created about .2 expected goals. Um mm-hmm. For you, is is this a microcosm of the story of the season? Just a team that doesn't have, yeah. doesn't have the intensity and the the variety or or quality in in the build up and attack to put smaller teams to the sword when they need to. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I was doing a little bit of uh, research because I've, I've, I've written something for this week about our home form. And actually, I don't think we've played well at home this season. I think there's something going on where we've got a reputation for good home form, which has helped us out, whereas which I don't think tallies with the performances. And so I started looking through some of the teams that have had more shots than us at home. Um, it's it's quite alarming at times, actually. Um, I think what Clive kind of touched on is we did briefly find something in about March where we found that 3-5-2 with Ramsey and Ozil. Yep. And we had three home games in that period against Southampton, Bournemouth and Newcastle. And those were the only time. Like, and so we've played really well at home against the big teams. Um you know, played really well against Rennes because Rennes were content to sit back and let us control the game. Valencia completely rattled us until we scored out of nothing and then they were content to sit back and let us control the game. Um, but there were only, with you know, with the exception of the big games, there were only like three home games I could point to um, where I felt Arsenal totally dominated like the whole 90 minutes and that even includes like teams like Burnley and Huddersfield you know it's those three games where we played we had that back three Ramsey and Ozil in a five in the middle and two up front and that was um, that was the only time this season I think Emery's found like a consistent balanced team and of course Ramsey gets injured and that blows it all up and it doesn't work anymore um, which is kind of the story of the last few seasons Arsenal stumble across something that works yep. But it's so fragile the second you take a piece out, whether it's Ramsey, whether it's Cazorla um, or something like that, or Sanchez, like something just completely blows it up. Um, and so and so, yeah, look, that was that was hugely disappointing because we get that penalty and you think and I'll be honest, I started thinking about goal difference when that penalty went in. <laughs> yeah, I did too, I thought, like an idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought, right, this could come down to goals scored. And and to be fair, to be fair, that's kind of because I expected Brighton to collapse and they didn't. So credit to them. But um but Did it, we yeah, put them was, under enough pressure to, to stress no, test them from the six to the sixty sixth minute? Not at all. Yeah. And so the the other thing I kind of found in my research is that Abamyang and Lacazette between them have scored more than half of our goals at home. Ozil, our, our principal creator, has con- created two goals all season. So what that kind of tells you is that, I mean, look at um, the goal I picked out that I think sums it up is Lacazette's first goal against Valencia, which basically Aubameyang and Lacazette make all on their own. And what we were asking them to do in this game, as we do in most of our games at the moment, is ask them to play two positions at once. So Lacazette has to play as a number 10 and a number nine all at the same time. So he drops back into midfield to try and get the ball because we don't progress it well enough. And then Aubameyang, we ask him to be a winger and a centre forward at the same time. And 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 we're kind of fortunate that they're both good enough to do it and they're good enough to carry that attack. But we're still not getting the best out of either of them because we just don't progress the ball well enough no. to them. They don't get... They don't like Ozil's passing has become so pedestrian and unimaginative that I just don't see the point in him in that team anymore. And there's no one else who really, you know, with the exception of a cutback from a fullback. And um, I, I think my issue with this lineup was that if you're going to play a four-four-two, um, and you're kind of job sharing the wings. 
um, with the diamond, you need fullbacks who can get up and down. And Licksteiner and Monreal are not those fullbacks. Yeah. I think you can play that formation with, say, Maitland-Niles or Bellerin and Kalasinac. You can't do it with Monreal and Licksteiner. And so what happened was... We had no one over on the right wing. Everyone was bunched up in the middle. And actually, where where we encouraged Brighton was actually when we had the ball in our own area. And even Bernd Leno, for once, looked unsure with the ball. And the reason was because there was no escape route because we had nobody stretching the pitch. They were all you could have thrown a blanket over that midfield um, at times. And then you've got like Lacazette and Aubameyang having to scurry out to the wings to try and make up the numbers. And then, but then when they go out there, that takes a player away from the box. And it's just. Uh, the, the the analogy I used the other week is Ars- this Arsenal team is a, a duvet that's just a bit too short and it's just a case of do you cover your feet or do you cover your chest because mm. Arsenal don't have the players to do both at the moment. Yeah, and I mean, look, while I agree with huge swaths of what, what's been said so far, I, I do think that in isolation, Arsenal should beat Brighton at home. And I realize yeah, every game is different. You know, I'm not trying to say bad things can't. I mean, we, we've lost to Hull City at home when they were newly promoted. I remember that one, uh, the Brazilian guy with the crazy edge of the penalty area. Giovanni. Yeah, exactly. You know, kind but of players you only hear about once ever. <laughs> but on the last two results, like a little bit of a regression to the mean where early in the season, so we were outshot in consecutive games by... Um, not quite West Ham, although they had 13 shots. They had a good go. But Everton, Watford, Wolves, Liverpool, kind of understandable. We were outshot by all of them at home. And then we struggled past Huddersfield afterwards. Like We've had some unimpressive home performances. And I think you can say maybe the last two games is just a little bit of that luck maybe coming back on us. Yeah, yeah, I, that's totally fair. I mean, I think there's a lot of regression. We'll go into some of the statistical elements of the season in a little bit. And, you know, the thing I'd say about Ozil is you look at this formation and Shaka's most common pass was to Ozil and Ozil's most common pass was to Shaka. And I think it's because Mkhitaryan and Torreira were useless in this game for the most part. And Ozil just kept having to literally drop all the way back to Shaka and just take the ball off his foot and then bring it forward. Now, that's not really a full-throated defense of Ozil. It's just that we have not used central midfield effectively at all this season with one exception when we've had Ramsey in a two in the back five because he is able to play both roles, you know, the, the midfield role and the, and the extra attacking role. And, and no one else really does that. Paul, but so we th- still concede shots. Sure. We yeah, still we, concede we're, shots. We're never going to so be when solid. When you say but... that, when you say that, you're thinking about our offensive ability. Because that's we where we can thrive. We can't thrive shots. defense. Look, we conceded 25 goals in the first 19 games in the league. We've conceded 25 goals in the last 18 games in the league. We scored 41 goals in the first 18, 19 games in the league. We've scored 29, 12 fewer. We are creating fewer chances. Our XG is much lower. So look, we knew the defense was going to be a problem. I would argue that with the 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 playing talent that we have on the pitch, it's the attack that at least has the the potential to be stronger. Okay. And you're and, getting to it. You're getting to the point, right? Well, you're getting like to the to point. So. We concede <laughs> shots and we don't create enough. What does that tell you about the makeup of our midfield? It doesn't work. It's not. But but I mean, it doesn't work. It worked with Ramsey, but also. 
you know, I, I think we have very, very rarely played three men midfields this season. We very rarely tried to build the ball through midfield. I think a lot of the operating procedure is get spray the ball to the wings, get the ball to wide positions and overlaps. Now, you know, I'm not trying to just turn that into a meme. It's not all we've done, but we create very little through the center of the pitch. Let, let me bring Paul in for a second because I have, th- I have three game-specific questions here for you, Paul. The first is about just this formation and who thrived and who didn't. And I thought Lucas Torreira had a really, really, really bad game um, for a player that I really, really, really like. And this is about putting players in situations to thrive. He was playing about 5, 10 yards ahead of Shaka. He was in a line of three ahead of Shaka for the most part as he and and Mkhitaryan and Ozil kind of had a free roll behind the two strikers. Um, I thought Torreira just really struggled to influence the game, get on the ball and know what he was doing there. And, you know, I mean, for you, I'm curious to get your take on his performance and whether this is sort of an example of how going with a system that is untested can leave a player in a position where he's not really sure how to get involved. Well, I guess we've seen Torreira kind of play this role a, a few times before. It's it's sporadic, but it does happen. Um, I, look, I thought he was, as an individual, I, th- I thought the system didn't work and we had no width. And... Uh, kind of my first pass at it is not to worry too much about the players and look about the look at the setup. I understand why we didn't have overlapping wing backs or full backs in this game. We we know who was and wasn't available. Um but I think it really hurt us. Uh none of our players on the pitch are suited to providing width. So obviously if we play with a a diamond we're going to be pretty narrow and it basically left Lacazette and Aubameyang to creatively create uh, width on one side or the other, uh, where Ozil would drift off and kind of play some one-twos with them. And, but, but it wasn't a system that was particularly suiting any of these players. Uh, nobody from midfield gets in behind to shake things up. Uh, I, w- I expected a bit more from Mkhitaryan. I didn't, think, I didn't think any of them had an absolutely terrible game as individuals. I thought Mkhitaryan actually did a lot that was good in this game. Uh, but what he didn't do was get in behind and shake things up enough for for what he's supposed to bring in this game. Ozil was dropping deep to make things happen because although we were playing this diamond where Chaka was at the base, actually there was plenty of times he needed help building things up with Torreira further ahead. I thought Torreira in terms of his own game was kind of okay. It just doesn't really suit him. He doesn't bring the physical attributes. Yeah. By the to way, I'm not position, saying he made a specific like error. That was, I'm not saying he was yeah. bad in the sense where he actively like cost us the game. I just meant that I thought he struggled in the first half. He completed yeah. no forward passes. Yeah. <laughs> in the he didn't complete a forward pass. I mean, yeah. You know that's that's not ideal. That's not you know that's not what you want from one of the three behind the strikers. I agree, uh, but I do think it's more of a a system thing. Yes. Uh, to some degree. To some degree it's him too because he doesn't have the physical attributes to muscle his way through when the game isn't kind of giving him anything he's not the guy who's suited to getting in behind to making a ramsey run into the box etc although he did it to some extent um just wasn't a good it was an okay system for these these guys i mean ultimately we weren't totally terrible we're just terrible in the, the in the fact that it's another mediocre point on a series of mediocre points during the season. Um, I didn't think we were utterly garbage. We were just in that mediocre zone, but we were at home against Brighton and we let them back into the game. Yeah. So, And we could only raise our own game for 10 minutes. We could only be, look like 
the team were supposed to be for about 10 minutes while, interestingly, the subs are <laughs> itching to get on the pitch. I think every supporter is thinking, don't bring on the bloody don't, subs. Don't bring on the subs. I, well, we're, that's the next thing I want to ask you about. I mean, we'll get to their goal in a minute because I do want to ask that. But Unai Emery has lived and died by his subs. I think the first half of the season... The comment was mainly, wow, here's a guy who really knows how to win a game from the bench and knows how to change a game for you know in the right ways. And I think that started to change a little bit. Um, you know, the second half of the season where I, I don't think he's been as effective with his subs. I thought this felt a lot like a case of make changes because changes need to be made without looking at what was happening on the pitch and realizing we're actually finally creating a lot of danger and, and back in the game and showing the right intensity. Like, to me, the subs actually undermined that and looked more like they were done to do something than they were done to fix the problem. How did you, how did you feel about the subs you made? Yeah, and I mean, even if they'd been kind of like for like-ish, they still would have blown up all the momentum. Now, I, I have to think that there's still that part of his mind that's thinking Europa League can't exhaust the team. I don't know if that actually plays out to who the players were. Probably Lick Steiner was fucked at that point because he hasn't played. So I could see why he'd want to do something. But he, he could have changed one player and that wouldn't have taken away from our attacking momentum. I thought Awobi came on on that side and was hot garbage. Um, so that didn't help. But But just the... Killing momentum. Uh, I kind of understand his urge to get the players out there. And once they're out there for standing there for however long it was, it, it's hard to just keep holding back and holding back. But fuck it. Um, if you think you're going, if you're really going to get top four and you actually think you have a, a reasonable prayer, you don't make those subs. I think something in his mind is still and has been for some time, though, though I thought it was the wrong gamble. He just feels the Europa League is his and he'll win it because otherwise you don't make those subs. I don't even know that those subs logically are going to help him in the Europa League, but I was thinking, I'm thinking he was thinking he needs to get some more energy on the field and save a little bit for Thursday. Yeah. Cause yeah, the it just killed us. We were, we were absolutely pounding them. I thought we, we were, were going to get them like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, you, you watch other teams and you say, Oh, a, a, a goal's coming here. But you don't typically see that with with Arsenal. We're kind of folding the dough over and over again. Yeah. Um, th this was ahead, 10 sorry. minutes where he said, there is a goal coming. It, it just seemed inevitable. And and the, the thing I would say about the substitutes, a, a few things. I mean, first of all, look, you have to play this almost like, you know, the last 15 minutes of a cup final that you're trailing, right? Because yeah. if you don't get all three points, your top four bid is over. And top four is really important. It's really important to the supporters too because there's a chance to finish ahead of Spurs, which I realize that's, you don't play your season for that, but you certainly play a game for that. And so he brings on Kolasinac, which I, I think really tells you a lot about what he wants to do, which is we just need to be more dominant wide positions and get more crosses in. Um, I thought the fact that he left Torreira on the pitch was really weird. I think going like for like essentially with Nacho and Kolasinac, you know, I don't know you know, that, that that particularly makes a difference. Look, Eddie and Kedia is young. Uh, and Chaka had been really good. I mean, for all his faults in this game and every other game, he really was spinning that ball up uh, precisely and, and springboarding this. Every time the ball got knocked back and the pressure came off for a second, he would get that ball right up there quickly to the right spot. So that that was probably the biggest thing that hurt us, along with just 
blowing it all up and losing the momentum. Yeah, and weird things. Like, you know, like leaving Torreira on, who had struggled to influence the, the game and, and isn't an attacking force, but taking Mkhitaryan yeah. off, who for all of his flaws, and he's deeply flawed, Mkhitaryan is one of three people on that pitch that can score a goal. Um, I think that, you know, also like... He'd hit the post in the first yeah, minute. Yeah, and, and by the way, bringing on Alex Awobi and playing him on the right, where, look... I'm not a huge Alex Wobey fan, but he can influence the game from the left. He's always been poor from the right. So I just I just thought this game got away from us at that point, and then we looked yeah. a lot less threatening. And to be fair, we I don't know how they managed not to score against us. So before we wrap up with this game, Clive, I, I want to dig into the goal they scored. Um, and, and I think there are two real principal um, villains of the piece here. The first is Mkhitaryan. Now look, Granit Xhaka makes the error he can't make. He does the thing that gives them a goal. Fine. We'll talk about it. Mkhitaryan does my head in here. It's a really good counterattack. We've got numbers. He's got options. It is a simple pass out to the right if that's the one he wants to make or he's got other more aggressive passes he can make. He holds it too long and then tamely taps it to the Brighton player to start a counterattack that winds up leaving Shaka totally exposed because, as we always do, we've committed numbers forward, we don't have the athleticism to get back, and we've got our flattest-footed, least-brained player, well, second-least-brained player, defending in space in the area. So, I mean, before we get to Shaka's thing, do you think that Mkhitaryan maybe hasn't gotten enough focus for what really is some very poor play that gifts them the counterattack? Mate, perfectly said. I, I think Mkhitaryan and... And Ozil are two players which I'm very disappointed in because there are times in seasons when you have to show up. And it's almost like I'm, I'm a big basketball fan, right? And we're going for the playoffs right now. And there are times in seasons when the franchise players get judged completely differently to other times. And this is the time, particularly when Ramsey came out, that the light was going to shine on those two. And in my opinion, they haven't done it. We're not creating, we're not dangerous, we're not penetrative, and the two strikers are carrying us. And that's what's happened. The moment they don't get the ball, we lose our shape because they they drop back in. On that goal, and I thought it was quite interesting that the three players involved in that goal were the three players that came off. Right On that goal, Mkhitaryan is pushing forward. He's got a pass much earlier than what he should have done. Lichsteiner almost overruns it. So Mkhitaryan takes he takes almost a gamble, and he and he tame pass to an angle to try to get it to Lichtsteiner because he's overrun it, and it was cut out. So now Mkhitaryan tries his hardest to come back and and drop back in. I watched it on a big screen in the pub, so I'm, hopefully I got this right. But um, I felt Mustafi could have come over sooner to try to get onto that right hand channel. And I'm a sucker for were, that theory. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought he could have come over. You're, he's your right-sided centre-half. I think it was easier for Shaka to then cover into the box and for Mustafi to come out wide and deal with it in wide areas. I'm not sure if I got that right. Dad. So I, I was watching it from far away, so I haven't rewatched really it. But And then Shaka said, I'm going to take responsibility. So he goes out. So everybody in, in thinking, oh, my God, here goes Shaka in a one-on-one situation in wide spaces. What's going to happen here? What happened was exactly what we all feared. Something clumsy and stupid. And herein lies the problem. When we're looking at these games, and of course we analyse them, and of course we want to see better changes, better team selections. We want to try to understand the rotation. We want to understand the injury situation. We understand our options and choices. 
But when you step back and look at our season, there have been, particularly in the last two home games, there has been mentality derailment under key moments of pressure. And that is the common theme. It happened to Mustafi. It's happened to Shaka in this game. If he lets that guy go, really lets him go, they're not scoring. We've got enough cover in the box. Let him go. They're only going to score from a set piece. You're just giving them one. It's stupid. We all know what Mustafi did against Crystal Palace. It's stupid. It's almost to a point where that stupidity does not belong at the football club. It does not belong in the top four. It does not belong in the Champions League. It's just beyond a joke. And it's like a, a collective, ah, hell. Right, do you know what I mean? It's like it's like that. It's just beyond. It's beyond football, and it's yeah. just um, it's so disappointing that our players react like that under key moments of pressure. We call ourselves an elite club. We call ourselves a Champions League club, but you know what? That is not Champions League. That that really isn't. And we can concede goals, but this is not the first time this has happened. To, to and this is a player that I I, I like. This is a player that when he plays well, we generally play better. We have to ask ourselves. He's got he's got an issue there, isn't he? Under, under pressure, the way he fouls, the way he reacts in one on one situations, he's got an issue, and we've seen it for three years. And this is something that we either carry or we lose. I'm not sure what the answer is, but we need to eliminate that from our makeup because we're not going to get anywhere until we do. We have managed for all that we've done this year. I know situations change. If we'd, if we'd have got results, maybe other teams would have got results. We just needed par form at home against Crystal Palace and Brian to put ourselves in a strong position. Nothing else. We were, we're not great away. We accept that. We haven't got enough two-way players. We haven't got enough personality away from home. It's been a situation for two and a half years. But at home, we got something going on. And I agree with Tim's points early. Maybe it's not as good as we think. But you know what? We still managed to make it work. Right? So, um, And we haven't managed to do that. Versus a team that bases misrelegation. Another team is decent away form. But... We should at least get a point, you know, two points, you know, or a couple more points in those games. Three we points would have been enough. It. We got one. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and, it's and not none good. of us. One are, from the last predictions, twelve. Four from the last predictions, yeah. which I dare not look at any longer. I wonder how many of us had us losing to, um, you know, Kiss the Palace and, or, and or drawing back right now. to Brian, which we could have easily lost, by the way, easily Tim. lost. Yeah, of course. Tim, before we take a break, I, I want to talk about a couple other issues in the game. And if anything we just covered um, is something you want to go over as well, obviously feel free. But they had three corners. We had 16. Um, would you sign a waiver that allows us to never take another corner again? I mean, <laughs> is is it criminal that we have been so unable to turn set plays into opportunities to score a goal? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think um, I, I read uh, Tim from 7am kickoff uh, was kind of talking about this, about our, our kind of stats from corners being one of the lowest, um, which doesn't make a lot of sense, really, because we've got quite a look at just look at the number of guys we've got that take the corners like Torreira, Mkhitaryan, Ozil, Xhaka. Xhaka's got a wand of a left foot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, they can all deliver and we've we've got some guys who are good in the air. And I, I think the thing is, so I, I'm not as... I know, like, loads and loads of particularly British fans have this real thing against short corners um, because, like, everyone just loves to see the ball flashed into the box. And and actually, what you kind of realise is that 
short corners are generally better because all right it's nice seeing a ball flash across the six yard area but uh, they only go like you only get a shot about three percent of the time out of them but and so I'm I'm all for like you know we do those short corners where we work better angles for crosses and I and, and I'm for that generally if but we actually we, get the cross in <laughs> well yeah exactly like quite often we just but we just do stupid things like have like Xhaka and Ozil two left footers together and it's like right neither of them is going to cross the ball with their left foot so there is no point in taking <laughs> a short corner to get a better angle on a cross because they're not going to do it they are both hilariously one-footed players they are not going to you know you work the ball to the corner of the area they're not swinging it in with their right they're just going to pass it back and forth on the left foot so like they don't they're not intelligent about who they get to take the short corners or you know sometimes it's just not on sometimes the opposition have seen it and they've got two players over there and the angle's not there and they still do it anyway and you think look you've taken like quite a few short corners to the point that you've now drawn two of their guys out of the box that's when you put it in you've taken one of their guys out through doing this surely that's the whole point but they continue to take them and it's like no that like why can't you just look at the situation and assess it rather than just robotically doing the same fucking routine that's that's is clearly not going to work with two guys out there meeting you and the fact that you've decided to put two left footers over on the over on the left hand side who aren't going to swing it in anyway and it's it's just there's just like a little bit of a lack of intelligence um around that They've got Duffy and Dunk that love their yeah. airplanes out of the box. Yeah. So you've got to short corner, whip it near post, move them yeah. around. Yeah. Don't throw it as fight balls into the box versus them two yeah. monsters. It's just thick. It's really yeah, thick. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it was kind of a little bit of desperation. Um, the, the only thing I would come back on slightly, just on their goal. So I, I it was on like my side of the pitch. I had quite a good view of it. I'm going to say something quite amazing here. I think Mustafi was in control of that situation. And uh, I think from where I was, I was completely happy with his movement because I think he was looking at basically at some point that Brighton player, um, I forget who it is, of uh, March, was it? Solly, Solly yeah. March. Good yeah, he, he has to cut in at some point. If he wants to do something, he has to cut in. And I think Mustafi is running in such a way that he thinks, OK, I'm going to run parallel to you and I'm letting you run into that space but I'm going to come and meet you because the second you chop in on your right foot, that's when I'm going to meet you. And I could see this unfolding from a mile away. Xhaka has completely lost his head and he went steaming in. He went absolutely steaming in. And honestly, my my mate and I, we went, oh, fuck, he's going to give away a penalty about (laughs) three seconds before he did it. I promise you, because we could, he'd gone steaming in. And you could see from the way he was playing anyway, he had totally lost his head. I thought he was absolutely dreadful throughout the whole game. I thought he was Agreed. awful. And um, he and Tim, he on, seemed to like, like spring out of the box. There was like we were we, nothing happening, and he like dived out there. And yeah. I'm thinking, so why has he leapt out there? Why hasn't someone else leapt out there? Is there a problem coming? But I thought yeah. when I looked at the box afterwards, there was no problem. There was nothing yeah, to yeah. manage. There's nothing and to manage. All he had to do was go into the centre of the box, let Mustafi deal with March. And look, Mustafi might well have just hacked through the back of him, which wouldn't surprise anyone. But he had it. 
and, and I was pleased to see Shaka kind of sprinting back because you don't always see that. But just go in the area and cover the space. And and I thought that for the whole game, on the triple substitution thing, I completely agree. And it's not hindsight. I thought at the time, oh, shit, this is going to kill us. Yeah. But I wanted Shaka off the pitch. I, I, was, I was just like, this guy has lost his fucking mind. He's lost his head. And what he needs to get off. The- him losing his his uh, his no grip idea. of himself. That's just him. No idea. He, that I... is just in his game, right? I mean, yeah. there are certain players that see the red mist or whatever you want to call. It, you know, get just don't have composure in critical situations, and he's one of them. Yeah. And, and I think and also when whenever he has to whenever he's in dual situations, you know, where he where he has to defend um, in space. He likes to use his hands. He likes to grab. And I think what happens is if you watch it really carefully, his first instinct is he reaches out to grab. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And he, I, he's smart enough. His brain like trips a little. He realizes I, if I grab here, it's really obvious. But he's let the player go by. So then he clips the leg to put him down. Like I, I just yeah. think he doesn't know how to defend in space. Yeah, yeah. And he, he like... He was like a landmine in that game. I, w- I was looking at him and I was just like, I don't, you know, I, nowadays I'm fairly good at keeping my cool inside a stadium. I never used to be, but now I am. But I was honestly, I'd like my head in my hands and I was like, get him off that pitch as quickly as possible because he is going to, he's going to hack someone and get sent off or he's going to give the ball away or he's going to keep pumping it out of play. He was an absolute landmine. He was a total liability and he had to get off as quickly as possible. And I think he should have come off 10 minutes earlier. Yeah, well... This is a, this is a problem right there, lads. This is a problem. There's a lot of problems. This guy, <laughs> this guy is a leader of our team. Right, you're coming to the pressure moments of the season. This is one of our captains, and we can't trust him. We can't trust him, and he's suddenly gone. I tried to explain that away with injury last pod, but it's it's the same again, right? And I'm looking at these leaders in our in our club, and when the shit hits the fan, I can't find them. And the only one that showed up is the one that's done his hamstring. Do you see what I mean? And it's it's not right. It isn't right. We we need to start shining a light on these guys. The new guys that have come in in their first year, fine. I get it. Right? Your first season, you're going to have dips. But we're talking about Mustafi, Shaka, Ozil, Mkhitaryan. They're core players in the primes of their careers. They're not doing it. They're not doing it. And fair play to Mustafi. He's recovered his poise up to a point. But they're not doing it. And they've been causing us issues. When you're talking about depth... While moving things around, we're we're hit by a lack of quality and a lack of form when we're trying to manage two competitions. And some of this, the managers made some bad selections, but I think a lot of this is with the players and their yeah. approach to big moments. And it's staring us in the face. We have multiple examples of this. Multiple examples. We and we lead the league. We, this is why we are not trusted. We I- are not trusted to deliver. I believe I could be wrong. We did at one point. We may still lead the league in goals conceded from individual errors that are credited as errors, and we've done that in multiple seasons. And you know, top teams shouldn't have that, and that that's down to individuals. I mean, that's players that don't have the right mentality. But Clive, uh, after the break, I'm going to ask you, uh, Paul. I've got some questions for you, I, Paul. Clive, if you're willing to play along with me, I want to ask you to do something that will be a little out of your comfort zone. Okay, but I'm a generous lover, so it'll be fine. And speaking of which, let's take a break from all this misery to talk about 
beautiful lingerie. So we'll do that. We'll take a time out. We'll talk about luxurious lingerie that you don't have to feel awkward or uncomfortable shopping for unless you feel awkward and uncomfortable right at this moment, which is totally reasonable. But we'll take a break. Uh, We're going to come back and talk Ramsey, talk about uh, what happens with the balance of the season, and maybe just a little bit, not a total uh, Emery evaluation, but just a little, we'll touch on it a little bit. All that coming up after the break. Stay with us. Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at The Enclosed, the E N C L O S E D dot com. Enclosed Lingerie is a Lingerie of the Month Club. That's right, just like a Beer of the Month Club, only better because it's a high end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating with a gift from the enclosed? And the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult to remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, the enclosed has your back. Every month you're going to get that high-end luxury lingerie gift, and it's going to remind you of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to theenclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful high-end luxury lingerie. Just go to theenclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. Okay, we're back. I hope that cheered you up a little bit, but we're going to put you right back down in the doldrums. And Paul, I think I want to ask you really quickly about the setup at Arsenal. It is very common after a bad loss that what winds up happening is that the attention shifts to Stan Kroenke and we'll never win with KSE and he needs to get out and Raul sucks and Gazita screwed us and the setup is terrible and there's a lot of dysfunction behind the scenes. And all of that is true. Having said that, this is our reality. We do have Stan Kroenke. We do have Raul. Ivan Gazidis did fuck off. Spend left in a huff. Like, this is the reality. So the manager that we have, whether it's Emery or whoever it is, has to get the best possible results under that circumstance. I think it is fair to say that KSE and Raul and Gazidis and Wenger and all, none of that is why we drew against Brighton. That team can beat Brighton, and they didn't. But, yes, all the things I mentioned are a big factor in what's going on at the club. So what, what I want to ask you is, should the flaws in the setup at the club be a reason to stick with a manager? Or should we just accept that there are flaws at the club and we need a manager who can thrive as best possible under those circumstances? Aye, aye, aye. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. I resolve that into it. <laughs> A yes or no? Well, forget yes. I mean, like, is it yeah. is is the KSC and Raul situation? Is it is it enough to excuse some of the problems with Emery to say that he deserves time because he's working in a challenging situation, or is it just the fact that this challenging situation is our club now and someone has to try to thrive in it? Okay, so you take a step back from the club and look at it from the outside, and Arsenal doesn't and hasn't looked like a top four side for some number of years in terms of setup, in terms of squad, in terms of the club, in terms of investment, in terms of dot, 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 right? Um, we're just, we look like a club five or five or six in the pecking order. And if you're a player from outside looking to come into the, to the club, you look at it and our bland, brand from a pl- player standpoint looks like a, a five or six in the league, not a, a lot reliable three or four 
Um, and that's not all down to Unai Emery by any means. Um, that's where the club is at the moment in terms of its in- infrastructure. Ivan had some good and some bad to him, and as he's gone, uh, you know, you're supposed to speak well of the dead, but uh, as he's gone, you know, he maybe a lot of those things are starting to turn up that he did that was wrong, and he hasn't had a chance to do anything right because he fucked off. Um, so he's... Ha- He's had a big impact just leaving because it's he was the central man. He's the guy who appointed all these people. Then we do this shake-up with Raul and Sven, and Raul ends up being the head guy. Um, and Raul was a guy who was happy to be in the background and not talk and not be the presence, and he's continued that going forward. That's a lot of, you know, we were talking about Josh coming in and playing a role um as part of the board and being an ever present and maybe even taking up the leadership role within Arsenal and he's off doing whatever he does. So whatever you say about Unai, um, he's coming into a club that has become in many ways more dysfunctional than when he joined, not less. And our opportunities for hiring this hot shit, uh, you know, whoever your, your favorite might be Tuchel or whoever, um, Probably last summer was our our peak point for hiring a coach and pitching him the the story as to how Arsenal was making his comeback because I think we've just managed to demonstrate that the the club the structure the infrastructure the vision the you know Emery's operating in the middle of all of that shit and if people don't think that he doesn't need a club that has its act together and a vision and etc cetera, etc cetera, um, of course he does so. It's seriously going to impact whoever the manager is, and it's going to impact whoever it is you think you're going to replace him with. Sure, there are there is a better manager out there that might be the next Nagelsmann. Um, I don't know that we can find players. We apparently can't find a director of football, for fuck's sake. So the, the team that can't sign an exciting director of football, or indeed any director of football, is the one we're saying, well, oh, well, they'll automatically pick somebody better than Emery, who's one year into his tenure. It's just very tough. Even if even if you've decided you wouldn't want Emery to have another year, which I think is a very reasonable view, as he's, and he only has himself to blame over the last month and a half. Um, doesn't only have himself to blame, but he certainly has his, himself to blame. Um, you kind of it's a really tough one for me to say, oh, I want Emery out because I don't trust who's going to bring Emery in. That is absolutely a good point and a fair point. And you bring a new manager in, if you do, into a terrible situation. It's just since the situation is terrible and looks like it's going to be for a while, can someone do better in it than he is? I'm not saying yes or no. I'm I'm asking it. Tim, before I make... Can I just, just... Ten, please, ten words. Please. There is an assumption One, two, three, that things three, can't get worse. They can get much worse. There so, is no floor here. So, uh, look at look so at the words. clubs coming up. So yeah. many words. No, I, that's I know. Like 15, I know. 15, 20 maybe, and, and, maybe twenty-five. Maybe now it's up to twenty-eight. And there's no ambition to improve it. I get. Look, Tim. I want to ask thing before I make Clive do uncomfortable things. Um, Arsene Wenger won three FA Cups during the lowest ebb of his league managerial career. Um. Mm. And I think it is fair to ask the question, how do you evaluate the success of an Arsenal manager? I mean, Clive has always said it's the league. The league is what matters most. 
If we're mm-hmm. just looking at the league, yes, we're going to finish on more points than we did last season. But remember, we chucked the league in February last season. So that artificially lowered. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give you some things here. We're finishing with roughly a plus six expected goal difference. You compare that to someone like Manchester United, who had a terrible season. They're plus 16. Um, Chelsea are plus 25. Plus six is like Leicester. You know, it's, it's solidly mid-table. It also suggests that we have picked up a lot of points that we weren't necessarily favored to, and we knew regression mm. was coming in the first half of the season. It did, right? I mean, we, yeah. we wound up regressing quite heavily, as, as a lot of people said, and then everyone said, oh, XG stuffed up your ass. They're not going to regress, and we did. So, you know, I'm not saying they were right. We, we may have regressed for other reasons. What I'm trying to drive at is the, the Europa League is a bona fide shot at getting back into the Champions League. We are big favorites in the second leg against Valencia, and then we'll be either favorites or sort of a push based on whoever we face in the final, and we'll have one game to get in the Champions League. Should the Europa League be a metric that Emery is evaluated against at the end of the season in terms of the sustainability or, or the, you know, um, if, if I were to say to you, you know, is this a tenable situation, how much should the Europa League be factored in that decision? Mm. That's um, <clears throat> excuse me. That that's a really really interesting question, and I reckon it depends on how far. Um, you know, a lot a lot of people kind of said, "Oh, he's won the Europa League three times." How much of a factor was that in him getting the job? How far up the tick list was that when they were talking about who they wanted? Like, where at what point did well? He's won the Europa League three times, and if we do that, then you know things work out quite well like was it just one thing thrown in or did the decision makers like really go hard on that um because that i mean that's ultimately who the who the decision rests with and um the thing that makes the question more difficult as well was my prediction at the beginning of the season was that we'd finish fifth just that we'd fight for fourth we'd finish fifth but we'd win the europa league and and we really could still do that. What complicates it is the fact that we have absolutely like spat in the face of the gift horse <laughs> for the top four. Like it hasn't been a fight for fourth. We've collapsed and let it go. And that's that's what I didn't expect. And that's what complicates things. Um, I, th- I think it is worth looking at the underlying metrics um, around that. Um, and... As to how far, and and it also depends on what they said to Unai Emery at the beginning of the season. Did they say to him, "Look, if you win the Europa League, you have absolutely got another year, no questions asked"? I I imagine they probably didn't say it in those words, but I imagine they kind of did. Um, it was probably I, like I if you get us back in the Champions League by hook or by crook, you can stay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, if if we do it by you know we've gone through against Napoli, if we then go through against Valencia and and beat say Chelsea in the final, that that's that's an impressive, that's a fairly impressive bunch of opponents that will have beaten to do it. Um, but I I get your point. How much, like, how much do you base anything on cups, really, because of the amount of jeopardy involved? And like you said, we weren't happy when Arsene Wenger started winning cups again. Um, I mean, we were happy I, with the cup wins. We just didn't think he should have stayed. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. It wasn't. We knew that 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 wasn't fixing our issues. That not to, not to evade your question too much here but um why not everyone else does <laughs> i i mean basically i don't know I don't, I don't think i made a decision on that and and the reason i 
probably haven't made a decision on that is because I haven't really made a decision on em- on Emery. And I, I understand that it, it's really quite loaded because I still think the main problem is the players. I, th- I think the main problem is the players we have um, and not necessarily the level of talent. It's just, you know, things we've discussed a million times before. It's aging, it's overpaid, it's very imbalanced. And we've got three or four players who are quite good at football, but are are fucking idiots as well, frankly, um, who who just cost us. And I still think we need to turn over a fair chunk of this squad before we can really, really properly judge the manager. But, of course, the question then is, well, are you entrusted? Because then you're giving Emery the keys to kind of That's blow the key. this you're, squad up. You're really up. doubling down, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I I guess I'd say is that what what are the decisions that this new executive committee have taken so far? They decided to um, ditch Aaron Ramsey's contract offer. They decided not to do anything about the Welbeck situation. They decided to spend January chasing Denis Suarez on loan. That That doesn't look good. That does not look good. That does not give me a lot of confidence in Raul Sanye- and Sanyehi and yeah. <laughs> this kind of this weird thing we've got now where we've decided not to have a CEO at all. Um, I, I Basically, I think Arsenal and Manchester United are in like identical boats at the moment. Their structure's not quite there. They're not making the right decisions. And but they I can light piles theme, of money on fire to try to fix it at least. Exactly, exactly. So I think my... So I think I'm with kind of Paul here and it's a bit like, I, so I wouldn't like if we sacked Unai Emery or he ended up going this summer, I wouldn't be like making an impassioned plea to keep him from the door. I just don't, I'm not convinced that someone better is available to us. And even if they're available to us, I'm not sure I trust the people running the club to find him. So it's, and, and it's, it's a not little clear bit. that whoever it is is going to have much of a budget to do this turnover exactly. of. So you got to think, well, do, do you go with Emery because he's partly, you know, these are at least partly his players or he's invested in them. Or you start again, which which in effect is more money. If somebody yeah. decides it's day one for them, then they're 12 months behind in terms of squad turnover, even though Emery's yeah. still very much at the start of the curve. It's a really tough one. Yeah. And if you get you know, a a quote unquote philosophy coach, because I think what we've kind of discovered about Emery is that he doesn't really have a philosophy and he's quite good at kind of shutting down superior opponents, which actually has led to a bit of an improvement in points just in those big games. But you get like a a philosophy coach who's like, right, I want to play this way and to play this way, I need these players. And then Raul Sanye, he says, oh, awesome. Um, You've got 40 million pounds to get those players. Like, what? Like, what the fuck do you do then, uh, frankly? And and actually, quite possibly, you could argue that what we need is, um, like, a real just pragmatist who treats players almost like, you know, almost like lumps of Lego. Um, like they're fungible. Maybe, yeah, yeah. May, maybe that as much as it's not been that fun to watch. Um, maybe you get like a philosophy coach in and he gets fed up after three months and says like, what the fuck you brought me in to, to, to like implement my philosophy and we're scrapping through Raul Sanye, like Barcelona's bins for loan deals to do it. And 
yeah and and so how much is a new guy gonna be able to or be willing to put up with that it's it's really really difficult so i'm not like making a huge like stand for emery here but i just i don't really know what else we do i guess, I guess the, the thing i would say is like i'd like to see an area where you'd say very clearly this season here's something he did better we've conceded mm. more goals or probably will and we're going to score probably fewer I mean, unless the Burnley game goes absolutely weird, crazy. So, like, I, I just feel so much better if I could point to something and say that. That was clearly better. Now, where, what I can point to is the big games. This is a coach who is much better than Arsene Wenger at going after a big club and, and pulling us onto their level and finding a solution for how to nullify them and get us a result. Better than Arsene could do that. That I agree with. That I believe in. Unfortunately, that makes you a cup coach and maybe not a league coach. Um, and can you have a cup coach at a at a club whose ambitions should be the league? You know, could you have a cup coach at at a Leicester, at a Palace, at a West Ham? You could, but mm. you know, you need a league coach at, at a club like Arsenal who can also do the cups. By the way, they got to be they got to be able to do it all. Um, Clive, why don't you come back in? But I, I do want to make you do something super uncomfortable um, that I've, that I've been planning. So c- come back in quickly, and then I, I want to ask you to do something uncomfortable because I think it will benefit all of us to do this thing that I have previewed and, and we have not yet done. <laughs> okay, uh, you. I think you asked earlier: Is this a sort of uh, coach that should be around in in this environment? And I actually think he's exactly the type of coach that should be around in this environment. Now, I'm not saying I want this environment, but I look at Emery as a professional coach. He's a somebody that can get a lot out of very little, right? And if you ask somebody to be a philosophy coach, to be a manager, that's what we're used to. We've had a philosophy manager for years. This guy isn't that. He is he is a Rafa Benitez, not very lovable. I'd take him. But, but basically, <laughs> send your hate but to very, <laughs> But very similar guy. Very professional, makes lots of changes, very tactical, very detailed, maybe not overly as expressive as you'd like, not a great communicator, not lovable, right? Doesn't hug his players on the pitch. Do you see what I'm trying to say? But he's deadly serious about maximising his talent. Right, so this is what we have. We have a we have a detailed professional coach. Not everyone likes that. And I'm and I'm looking at it. I said this, I said this earlier, earlier, or maybe one of the other podcasts. I'm starting to think the fans want someone to love again. We used to love Wenger, then we fell out of love with him. We got this new guy in. We're not sure about him. He's not a great communicator. No one's communicating within the club. We want something to love, and. We don't really love him. We respect him. Some people like him. Some people understand him. Some people dislike him. But no one's saying they love him. Yeah. And I think that's the bit that's missing. I think for the fans, they want something to love. There isn't very many players to love. Right? So they want to throw their emotion into something. And it's just not there. It's just ticking along. It's ticking along within a, a financial constraint with a lack of ambition, a lack of leadership, a lack of direction. Changes in the back room, changes in the playing staff pending, it's just ticking along. And we want something else. We don't know what it is yet, but we know we don't love it. And the, we are hoping it's going to improve, but we're not in love with this. The football has lacked charisma, sort of like the manager has. And I think, you know, I'll give you a, a really ridiculous example, okay? Just, I'm using this as a ridiculous example to show what I'm trying to say. I think a bad season where there was something exhilarating about it 
about the football would, would be easier to love. Like, so let's say Roberto Martinez was our head coach, right? You're going to concede 100 goals with this team. You might score 115 goals. And you might win some games 7-2, to two, and you're certainly going to lose some games 7-2. to two. But, like, that might be the kind of thing where there was something that made you laugh and, and made you sky high and was exhilarating. I would certainly say the second half of this season, for sure, has been really short on exhilaration. There was the 2-0 over Chelsea. There was the draw against Tottenham. And if Aubameyang slots his penalty, this conversation is very different. I get yeah. that. But it is what it is. Clive, here's what I want to ask you to do. Sometimes I think the most beneficial way to understand an argument and to make a good argument is to have the person who opposes your argument make it and you make theirs. So I want to do one exercise with you just really quickly, if you don't mind. Give me the strongest argument you can make for not keeping Unai Emery at the end of this season. The strongest argument, I think... um... If I'm trying to make an argument, I would... I'm, it's similar to and what I know I this is say, not what you actually. believe. So I, I want to be out no, there. I'm, just, no. I'm asking you to do this. Mate, I, I, I'm, I'm fine I'm fine either way. I, 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 I'm a coach, right? I like a lot of his coaching decisions. I understand why he's right, Tell me what it. you hate. Why should he be sacked? All right? <laughs> I, I think, uh, I, I think of some, of the, some of the things I don't like are things which I feel he, he can't control. Um, I, I You're think punting. I, <laughs> no, I do. I do believe it's. It's really. It's a, I don't feel comfortable saying this, right? But I do believe the communication thing's an issue because I, I don't think he's bringing enough people with him, right? So I think it's important in any environment that you're working in that you bring people along the journey, right? And I don't think it's easy for him to radiate himself in the right way. But that's what I feel today when the results not going well. Um, there were. I know for a fact when we played Spurs, the Spurs fans were really upset that Pochettino was just sitting there and Emery was up pushing his players. Right, so it goes from week to week, result dependent. But I do think if I take an overall question, I think I I I do think he struggles to connect to the fan base, and some of that he can't control because of the language, some of that he can't control because of his background and personality. And I think there are other options out there. And I will give exhibit number one, the guy at Southampton, who I think has Hassan, a similar... Hassan Hoodle? Hassan, yeah, Hassan Hoodle. He, he has a similar... He, he moves things around, but he's just somebody that connects people. And he's he throws his arms up. He, he, he can just communicate better. He's, he's a bit more closer to his players. I, and I think this is something that Emery can be criticised for. Whether you believe it or not, none of us really know. From, our, from the outside, we have concerns about how he manages relationships with certain players, how he comes across. Now, whether you like that style or not, it's a debate. If it's a debate, it's something you can be criticised for. So I think that's the number one thing I see. I, Elliot, I don't worry about the positional side of things too much. I, I think... The tactical side of things too much. I think he knows tactics really well. He doesn't get it right all the time, and, we, and we'll we'll be the first ones to highlight it. Done. Okay. Um, I don't think we can have a fluffy manager in this environment, but I do think Arsenal fans get what Clive thinks. Arsenal fans want something else, and not saying they dislike him, but I think they they want someone who can connect with them, and I'm not sure he's doing that. Okay. So, um, can I ask you a weird question to the group because I don't know of it. 
Are there any like really vocal ex players of Emery who just love him and like evangelize for him? Because that's one thing that I think is weird. I feel like there are players for all of these sort of big managers at big clubs that like are really vocal spokespeople for like how much they love him or how much they learned under them or how much how how inspirational they was or important they were to their career. I just don't feel like you hear that with Emery that much, and maybe I'm looking for a thing that isn't there with that. Um, I just can't think of too many players that have like come to the media and really evangelized for him and like stepped to his defense. This, um, is, this is why this is why I, I hear you. This is you basically agreeing with me, and I think always this is what this is why I call him a, a bit of a Rafa Benitez. Right? He's a he's a he doesn't care. He doesn't care about people. He cares about the result. You know, he cares about getting proper funding, you know, he cares about the details of football. He's not a lovable character. He spent a year at Chelsea winning the Europa League and they all hated him. He didn't care. He just got his head down and did his job. I'm a professional coach, right? I think he got emotionally involved in Liverpool and since then he's turned the emotions off, right? He just does his job. And, but people will say he was an incredibly detailed guy. They don't say they love him. They say he's an incredibly detailed guy. The much they say the same about Incredibly detailed videos, analysis, blah blah blah. He's improving me. No one's saying they love him. They're not saying he's the best coach we ever had. They're just telling you about what he's really, really good at. Mm-hmm. And I think Arsenal need something else, but maybe just not yet. And I think it may be another year away, depending on how he supported in the summer. But the next coach, which is always going to happen in two years, in my opinion. And it was a two-year plan to get to the top four, not a one-year plan. We just got overexcited because the opportunity was there. Two-year plan to get to the top floor. After that, you'll either get there or you're done. Right. So, but I think the next coach could be an Arteta or a Hasenhauer or somebody that we would like. You know, somebody that we connect to because the foundation and the turnover of the squad and all the ugly stuff that you don't want a a young lovable person to do. You get somebody who's a pro, who's a hard nose to say yes, I'll do that. I'll take my money. See you later. I'll, I'll re-establish and stabilise this club for the next phase, which is something a little bit more that I feel fans can connect to. Okay. Do you know what's um, yeah, really interesting uh, that, that made me think there? Did, did you ever see like people tweeting earlier in the season saying, do you reckon Arsenal fans would have been much more happy with Sarri and Chelsea fans would have been much yeah. more happy with Emery? And uh, Michael Cox wrote a great piece about this, about like, you know, Chelsea's owners are like, no, 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 we must have a manager that has a style and a philosophy and a, and a style of football. And Michael Cox was kind of saying, Chelsea fans are kind of unique in that they don't give a shit about that. Like they they don't want like a big philosophy coach who plays like they're happy with, you know, apart from Benitez, because there was history there. They're happy with that kind of relatively dead eyed pragmatic. I don't want to say dead eyed because, but, you know, that kind of real pragmatism that they're just like, nope, we're happy winning one nil and winning trophies. That's our identity because that's the identity Mourinho gave us. We're not asked about like total football (laughs) or anything like that. And and actually with Sarri. Because um, the phrase Sarri ball has come up, people have conflated that with him saying that and they think it's like a mark of arrogance from him and it's not. It's just a word the media have used and it's it's quite interesting that how, how I think Arsenal and Chelsea perhaps, if they did like a bit of a coach swap, um, yeah, I, I think uh, leaving aside, well, you can't leave aside, but you know, some of Sarri's comments in the past bear, you know, quite a lot of scrutiny. Um yeah you know, his non-football comments, shall we say. But, you know, kind of uh, Arsenal would be much more happy with like a philosophy coach trying to do something, whereas Chelsea just want, 
you know, Chelsea want maybe like a higher level Emery. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we're never going to find out how that would have been, and I'm not sure I wanted sorry either, but there's no need to have final adjudication on, on the Emery thing right now because there's plenty of podcasts after the season is over to evaluate that and uh you know we'll all be covered in the beer we spilled on ourselves after winning the europa league and have to clean that off before we do that podcast so uh we can't leave though we do have to say something about aaron ramsey and there are a lot of things to be said and we could probably do a more full-throated uh examination of his career um later on as well but paul i mean just your sort of emotional reaction to ramsey's emotional reaction and the, the feeling of you know watching his arsenal career end this way Oh God, man! Um, uh, Jesus! I mean, the guy just—he—he he threw a wobbly. Uh, I mean, the, it was bad with the presentation, but then the speech afterwards. I mean, the guy's voice was just gone. Um, that was bloody heartbreaking. I—I I tweeted afterwards about uh, well, somebody—somebody somebody from the club needs to go up to him and tell him to man up, give him a slap across the face, and tell him to drag his arse to Baku. Even if he's on his elbows, he needs to get into that six-yard box and win us a, a cup, put in one more cup final goal for us. Uh, it's just tragic he won't be there for us. Might be tragic in more way than more ways than one. But I mean, that would have been a hell of a story if he could have got tobacco. Hopefully, we get tobacco it's, and yeah. uh, and end it like that. I mean, it was just it was it was meant to be, but apparently, it's not meant to be. It's it's interesting, right, Paul? Because I mean, the, the funny thing is, and Tim, I think you'd probably agree with this: the the season that Ramsey has had totally transforms the way he'll be remembered, the way his Arsenal career will be looked at, rightly or wrongly. Mm. Um, he has cup final winning goals. If you look at any big game Arsenal has scored, he's scored in them. I mean, they won't be as remembered, but he scored some important goals in uh, Champions League qualifiers. He's contributed a lot to this club over a long period. He had his career jeopardized by a horror challenge, came back. Really, the only one of the horror challenge brigade, Diaby, um, uh, Eduardo mm. and Ramsey. Uh, am I forgetting anybody? I think that's, I mean, Jack obviously had horror injuries, but they weren't from a horror challenge. Like the only one to come back and really make a career for himself. And the funny thing is, I think he was still sort of a divisive figure, but by mm. virtue of the way it was spun that the contract was pulled from him, the fact that he has been a part of our best performances this season, that we have been dysfunctional without him, that he has been so good when he's played, that he's been a model citizen when he's been called on, that he showed so much emotion leaving. You know, you've always said this, Tim, the way we remember players often just has to do with how they leave. If he had left yeah. this summer for a cut-rate fee after holding us, you know, supposedly ransom for huge wages, um, and given the fact that people were still not totally sure about the consistency of his performances— he might not have been remembered as fondly as he deserved to be. But this season, I mean, Tim, would you say, like, it couldn't have played out better for him in some ways in terms of being able mm. to leave with real legend status in the books for a lot of people? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know, it's it's the one pleasing thing about the situation, actually, is really is, it, I guess, his legacy, um, for want of a better word. Yep, he's gone abroad. Um, it's being seen as not his fault. Yeah, we screwed um, up. He didn't screw us. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's obviously played with consummate professionalism. But um, I, I think it, he showed certainly for that little period in about February or March where we looked like we had a bit of a team together. And, and it was because he, he solved a big problem for Emery, right, in the balance between defence and attack because he could do both in a five-man midfield. Um, but 
also, uh, and and I kind of think the same for Welbeck. Welbeck got a really good reception yesterday, and um, you know, to all intents and purposes, Danny Welbeck's a kind of not a jobbing player, but you know, like a it's been a high level squad player for a few years. Like they, they don't usually get um, that kind of reception, but what Ramsey and Welbeck have really been able to show is is in their absence. Um, basically, we we've got we've had a better understanding of their value in their absence. And I think, um, and, and I'm, I'm just pleased that this season, at least people have kind of, people have come around to Ramsey and, and what he offers. And, you know, people have begun to, I don't really understand why people didn't like him as a, he's always come across as a, a really nice person, a really good person. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the only redeeming, part of the situation and the fact that you know even even on Sunday you know he comes on the pitch he's played absolutely no part in that horror show whatsoever which I think increased the volume of the cheers just a little bit more because there's probably like a one it's or like two percent towards element the rest of the yeah <laughs> the yeah it's squad. like that that's the guy we like like the rest of you fuckers and um and yeah, and and and, and I, I'm really pleased for him. I'm really pleased that he's been able to to leave this way, and that um, he's he's being appreciated. Maybe, and and don't get me wrong, this doesn't completely and utterly eradicate all the issues anyone had with him ever. I don't want to be completely revisionist about that um, because you know not not all of them were 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 completely unfounded. But I'm, I'm just glad that a guy who gave 11 years, who gave us all the whole time, was very talented. As you say, I think the fact that he came back from that injury alone should have seen him... You know, look at how the other players who were injured... Like like you say, Eduardo and Diaby didn't manage to come back from that and they were treated very sympathetically as a result. It almost feels like for his legacy for a while, the fact that he came back at all seemed to be bad, which I never quite understood. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a real wrench really. And you, and you saw what it meant to him straight away um, to, to have the crowd kind of, um, kind of baying for him uh, like that and singing for him. I, cause I, he seems like such a level-headed character. I wonder, and and in a good way. I mean, this. I wonder how much of it he all takes in. He seems very focused, and I think maybe you know, in his club suit on the pitch, that was, I don't know, but that was maybe the first time he thought, oh wow, I'm, I'm leaving this. And it's interesting in his interviews, he kept saying, you know, I came here a boy and I'm leaving a man. And um, I think now, and you know, he was asked about Juventus, and he was like, look, today's not about that. It's it's about this. And I wonder if it will just kind of hit him at the same time and um you know i'm i i, I wish him uh all the best at uva i hope he absolutely smashes it i really do yeah and i think he will well said really well said clive we'll finish on this just really quickly if emery doesn't want me to go full apoplectic and like rip the microphone out of my computer and just throw it against the wall um which would be in everybody's best interest he's got to just play kids in the, in the burnley game right there there is there's nobody who deserves to start that game who has played a premier league game this season yeah, I'm not worried about the Burnley game. It's all about Valencia, isn't it? It's all about that and um, and getting people ready for that game. And the Burnley game is inconsequential. It doesn't matter if we get through to the to the final. Then um, that game, just who cares, right? So um, I, I, it's all about Valencia, right? So I think just to touch on Ramsey, I, what I what I've noticed this year for, is that I think he has embarrassed some of those other players that I mentioned in Erz or Mikatara and Iwobi and 
Etau, those attacking midfielders that we rely on, I think he has shown a greater personality to play for Arsenal than than any of them have shown. A greater personality to fix problems on the pitch, to solve issues, to, to listen to messages, to play roles appropriately, but show the personality to play for Arsenal. And what I spoke about earlier around mental derailment, what we've discovered more than anything this year in a year of discovery is there's a number of players that don't have the ability or personality to play for this football club. And it manifests itself under the highest moments of pressure. And what will be Aaron Ramsey's legend, in my opinion, is when the pressure got higher, he got better. Right? And I think that's how he'll be remembered in the big moments he delivered. And whether you, you know, whether I used to moan about him, which I did, about his um, his positioning on occasions and who's to know what Wenger asked him to do. But what I will say is he has delivered this year. He has played with an intent and a professionalism that you just can't ignore. And um, and fair play to him. We can only wish the best for him in his time. And I think Tim's absolutely right. I think it dawned on him that he is not going to be here. And... I'd love to know the story behind the scenes and what happened. I've heard things, but I don't want to say it because if, who knows if it's true. Yeah. But I, I think it doesn't matter. The situation ended up way ended up. And um, I think it's a shame because I think he actually suits his manager. And I think um, he suits what his manager is looking for. It's an absolute crying shame. And that's from somebody who has been a critic in the past. But you can see when someone fits the room and he fits the room that's Arsenal Football Club and there's a number of people that don't. And funny enough, he's the one that's going and he doesn't feel right. Yeah, that that is for sure. That that's a great point, right? I mean, of all the players, got it. It's it sucks to say it, but of all the players at this point that you'd be saying keep him and sell the rest, he'd be on that list. Um, it certainly makes the summer process a lot more challenging, and we will have lots of podcasts to dive into that at a later date. Pause on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Woohoo! That was me. <laughs> Paul's gone. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't notice. That was really good. <laughs> I shouldn't have given it away. Damn it. <laughs> you shouldn't have given it away. That was brilliant. <laughs> oh, fuck. All right. You know what? I'll fix it in post. There is no post. Uh, Tim's on Twitter. Stilberto. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. Yes. And uh, Clive's on Twitter. Clive PAFC. Thank you, my friend. Thank you very much. Top work, guys. Really good. Yeah. My name's Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. We love you. Thank you so much for going through this with us. God, it sucks. It sucks sometimes, but we love the club and we can't give them up. So. We sit here and we moan about it, and it's what we do, and, uh, you know, it's fine. It's fine, because this is how we get through it. It's a catharsis, and uh, you know what? Hopefully it all ends with a, with a European trophy in our hands, and we can all look like moaning, whinging bastards, which would be fine with me, because I'm going to look like that regardless. I'd rather do it with a trophy, and I'm sure you would too. So thank you. We love you. We have more great stuff coming out. If you want to support us on Patreon, I just can't say how much that means to us for the people who have done it, and we have a lot of good stuff coming out there. I know for some people that's not a possibility or not an interest, and that's fine too. Either way, we love you and we appreciate you. Uh, I'm going to end this. Uh, you know what? I am not going to do the Arsenal 10 Burnley nil thing for that game because fuck that game, but we do have a big one. We still have the second leg. So we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Let's see you now.